You're listening to the Digital Barbell Podcast. Our mission is to provide you with a clear path to health and fitness through education, coaching, and accountability. We are your hosts, Jonathan and Blakely Fletcher, and we are here to serve you. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to this podcast and leave us a five-star review so that we can reach more people. You can find us daily on Instagram and Facebook at Digital Barbell. Now, let's get to today's topic. All right, guys, welcome to episode number 66 of the Digital Barbell Podcast. Thank you for being here. We are thankful for each and every one of you that listen. We've got an awesome episode for you this week. We have an interview with E.C. Sinkowski. She's the founder of Optimize Me Nutrition, and she came up with a cool approach to nutrition called the 800-gram challenge, which we will get into into this episode. But before we get to that, we have to thank our sponsor for the week. We are sponsored by Fruits and Vegetables. <laughs> I couldn't resist this week because as you'll hear in this episode, the 800-gram challenge is, why don't you tell them, Blakely? It's, it centers all around eating 800 grams of fruits and vegetables a day. That's all you have to worry about and everything else. You can eat whatever else you want. Yeah. We actually, uh, I tried this as like a little test at my gym mm-hmm. when I owned the CrossFit gym and it was cool. Like I, I, I wanted to take on the challenge myself, honestly. So I encouraged some other members to take it on as well. Yeah. We talk about it in the episode, but it's not uncommon when a new nutrition coaching client starts with us that in the discovery phase where we start to learn about what they're already doing, it's not uncommon to find out that some people are eating almost zero if not mm-hmm. maybe one or two servings of fruits and vegetables per day. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely a lot of low hanging fruit, pun intended. Yeah. And it's kind of cool to have a challenge like that to center, to center your nutrition around a new, a challenge and to just, you know, like think about all the different fruits and vegetables you can select for that day, weigh them out mm-hmm. and you start to get an idea of like, you know, how much each weighs yeah. and you know, you can start to like play with different varieties. It's, it was really fun. I enjoyed it. It brings a lot of variety yeah. into your diet. And man, actually, oh, yeah. you could go back and listen to our interview with uh, Chef JC Ricks. I want to say it's like episode 19 mm. or so, 20. I could be wrong, but he, we talked in that episode about ways to prepare vegetables that uh-huh. make them delicious. Yeah. But yeah, it's a good episode, good interview with her. Also, it's been, I sent an email out about this last week, just kind of a update on what's been going on with us this week we you have know, a, i was gonna say co co uh what do you call it co-sponsor co-sponsor uh the babysitters club <laughs> <laughs> the book the netflix show whatever you want but we are rocking some babysitting this week yeah and it is so much fun we have our five-month-old nephew and two-month-old niece two-year-old two two-year-old niece. niece sorry yeah five-month-old two-year-old um and, niece and nephew. Oh my gosh, it's so much fun. They're yeah. so much fun. We have a lot of respect for you, you parents out there. We were talking today about like, you know, this has been a taste for us of, uh-huh. since we don't have oh, kids yeah. about what it's like. And like, you know, you have a limited amount of time to do the things that you want and need to do yeah. because it's not like you can just set the kids out and <laughs> let them go do their thing. Like, no, there's always somebody yeah. who needs something. You always need to be preparing for the next thing they're going to need. Thanks, We're buddy. also babysitting Thanks. a dog, yeah. so the, the dogs was, are fighting right now. <laughs> yeah, that was our bad dog that barked. But, but yeah, we have a great respect for you parents out there who are hustling and getting yeah, it done. Yeah, I was thinking about that today. It's like, you know, if, if you can get both kids to nap at the same time, it's like, okay, I have this window of time. Like, what am I going to get done? And 
honestly, like things like lunch can get pushed back. Yeah. It's like, okay, I want to, I want to do a bit of laundry. I want to clean, clean up a little bit. You know, the list can be like five things long and you're like, I only have a certain amount of time. You never know when that window is going to end. Yeah, the clock and is I ticking. honestly have been like dropping like a half of a pound <laughs> like a day because I haven't been eating enough, which is not like me at all. I'm always like right on my nutrition and like, you know, eating probably more than I should. But like, I, I'm like, wow, I'm like losing weight daily because I have no time to eat. So yeah. yeah. So bottom line is mad respect to you parents out there that are getting it done. Probably, I don't know, over 50%, if not 75% of yeah. our clients are parents and mm-hmm. we got a lot of respect for you guys. You guys are awesome. So without any further ado, let's get to the interview with E.C. Sinkowski and definitely check out the link to her Instagram and other social media and her website in the show notes of this episode. E.C. Sinkowski is the owner of Optimize Me Nutrition. She's a level four CrossFit coach. She has a nutrition focused podcast called The Consistency Project. She has more degrees than a thermometer and she's our guest today. Welcome to the podcast, E.C. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Our pleasure. So the focus of your work now is mainly nutrition, but we do have a common thread, which uh, is CrossFit. We discovered CrossFit a few years after you did, which I believe for you was back in 2006, if I'm not mistaken. You've got it. January 2nd, 2006, I walked into CrossFit Boston. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, We've been there, actually. Small world. Yeah. So, and then you went on to be uh, on CrossFit seminar staff and the director of programming during your Mm -hmm. 10 years with CrossFit. So I want to know, what is it about the CrossFit training methodology and CrossFit in general that's made it something that you've been able to stick with for so long? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, it works. (laughs) I think that's probably the big one, right? I, I do find that it accomplishes what I want to do. And it also provides enough variety that, you know, you, you can get a little bored if you stick with the same thing every day. So it provides some variety. It provides a challenge and it's also not requiring me to work out for two, three hours a day, right. To get fit and to stay in shape. So I think ultimately it works, which is probably some of the reason for their success too. Yeah, for sure. And I've noticed in following you on uh, social media that, you know, during the pandemic, you were able to keep doing it because of the the variety that's in it, even with limited equipment and access to a gym, which I imagine has been pretty huge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think people overthink programming a little bit, you know, they're like, Oh, I don't know. I'm not an expert. And it's like, pick any movements that you've done over the last year and just add some reps and change the time a little bit. And you've got a new workout. And I get it that that might not have enough nuance for our rich, uh, rich Fronings and Matt Frazers, but it's okay for all of us at home. It's okay. Yeah. And I think there's always that, you know, um, I don't know if you know, if I told you, but Blakely owned uh, a CrossFit gym for several years up until 2019. And, uh, Mm. there's this misconception that you got to get in shape before you go do CrossFit. Right. But people don't realize that, you know, as a novice or a beginner in anything, both on the training and nutrition side, you're subject to some pretty darn rapid progress there in the beginning, if you'll just start. So Yeah. And I would even argue through intermediate and even intermediate advanced, you know, just hard work and consistency is going to get you really, really far. Yeah. Those newbie gains are a great great, (laughs) uh, time to take advantage of. Totally. So um, 
we have a few exceptionally tall clients and mm-hmm. I believe you're about six feet tall if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So one of the things that we hear a lot and Blakely heard this a lot from members of her gym uh, was that there are certain things in CrossFit that tall people are at a major disadvantage at. What do you find as far as that goes personally? Oh yeah. I mean, <clears throat> handstand pushups, pistols, um, burpees, even air squats. I mean, you know, I kind of, somebody was like, watching you do CrossFit is watching the sands of time, you know, (laughs) it's large loads, long distances kind of slowly, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, it just takes a little bit longer. Thankfully, every now and then we get rowing in there, we get some wall balls. Um, Sometimes the women go to nine feet, so we can make it up every now and then. (laughs) Yeah, I imagine with your outstretched arms plus the the height of the actual wall ball, you are darn near the top of that range at extension there. There was that open workout. It must have been three years ago now, but it was like 15 minutes and the rowing portion was like 15 or 20 calories. Then it was like 10 wall balls to nine feet for women. I was like, oh my God, I've waited for 13 years for this workout. (laughs) (laughs) I'm making it to the games this year. (laughs) On one workout. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then they always bounce it out with like a like you said, handstand pushups or something like that, totally. or a heavy, a heavy clean. Totally. That's funny. So let's move on to some nutrition stuff. We could talk about CrossFit all day probably, yeah. but, um, so you said in your 2017 Ted talk that the diet industry is a 66 billion with a B yeah. dollar per year enterprise. Mm-hmm. So even with all that spending, 70% of Americans are either overweight or, over, or obese, mm-hmm. and seven out of 10 people die from a preventable chronic disease. Mm-hmm. Why is there such a large disconnect between the amount of money we spend on this problem and the actual results that we get towards moving towards a solution? Yeah. You know, some of it's gimmicky stuff in the diet industry for sure. Some of it, I don't want to say is bad actors, but they're advertising things that I just don't think are really where we need to be focusing. So some of it, I think it's just poor products, but I also just don't think it's really that well incentivized for people to kind of be proactive about their health. And this is something I've mentioned before in that somehow we made headway with cutting back on people to smoke or smoking. And somehow we may, we made headway with people wearing seatbelts. I knew I grew up without wearing seatbelts in the car. Now, both of those came through more laws for us, but I don't know, like people aren't incentivized to eat well. So even with all of those diets out there, there are also, even though there's products I don't agree with, there's products I do agree with, like mine and plenty of other whole food based diets. Right. And, and I just, there's not the incentive for people, um, whether or not it's financial or legal Or the fact that we don't see the payoff right away. You know, we don't see the payoff till we're in our 70s. But here's the deal is we don't see the payoff necessarily for seatbelts and smoking right away either. And so that's where I get hopeful that, you know, we made progress on those. So somehow we can do it for nutrition. Yeah, it's almost like um, it would be really hard to market and sell the common sense approach that I think we both take. Like, here's the things that you need to do and here's the package it comes in. And by the way, it's going to take six months to 12 months before you uh, reach the the type of goal that other things are promising you within 30 or 45 days. Yeah. Uh, And there's also something I was talking about this with somebody yesterday. Like there's also the pressure in my industry to always come up with something new and you know, nutrition doesn't need anything new. 
it, it's fruits and vegetables forever. It's a good amount of protein forever. It's don't eat too much forever. That's it. There isn't a new spin on it. Now, maybe you choose that, you know, this month we're going to eat more strawberries because they're in season. That's what, that's what's new. <laughs> yeah. But what's not new is the concepts. And so I think people also get a little bit like, oh, I get, I'm getting bored of this. I want something else. And it's kind of like sleep. Like we don't reinvent sleep. We just do it. <laughs> yeah. And nutrition's kind of the same way. And unfortunately, there's this sort of aspect that's become in our marketing industry that like I need to do something different. It's like, no, you don't. You just need to keep sticking with it. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, as everything goes online and things become easier and easier to get in every other part of our life. It just kind of raises this base level of expectation for how quickly everything in our life mm. should be happening. Totally. So I, I don't see this changing, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Yeah. It's I'd a love tough to battle. figure out incentive. Um, you know, and there have been, you know, these sugar taxes, it gets a little bit hard. Like this is always what happens is like, these ideas start with good intent. How do you regulate it well? You know, I think people should be able to have added sugar in their diet. I do think that we can have cupcakes and it's okay. So how do you regulate sugar tax? And it hasn't really been, I don't think shown to be that effective. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how to do it, but I think we have to change the incentive structure so people are incentivized for the good choices. I know you, uh, you do a um, corporate side of your business mm -hmm. with the 800 gram challenge. Do you see any change from that level as far as you know, either healthcare companies or companies incentivizing employees to make healthier choices for the long term? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some companies that depend or their insurance providers, they're able to either give benefits for, let's say, gym memberships, or they'll pay for these corporate wellness programs as a perk or an add-on. I think there's also some companies that will look at health markers to incentivize. Um, I haven't worked directly with those. So there mm -hmm. can be some, but... Again, I don't know that it's that well incentivized for people to do it. Um, yeah. I think it has to affect their bottom dollar more, their mm -hmm. um, their health today more, and or legal ramifications. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. One thing that came to mind, um, you know, we were talking about how much money is spent on stuff, and I bet if we could look at it, the majority of that is on, you know, products and things. Mm -hmm. That's, that's mm -hmm. what we think of when we think of the diet industry, industry, but, but really what people need is the education, like understanding about the basics, like mm. how much we should eat and the quality of what we should eat. Things like you talked about on the podcast you put out today, but that's hard to bundle up and sell as a product. People don't have the time or don't want to really take the time to learn. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it is hard. That's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. <laughs> like you said, it is hard. <laughs> it's hard, but it is job security. So um, <laughs> speaking of job security, you created an elegant approach to nutrition, as I mentioned, called the 800 gram challenge. It's awesome. Yeah. Essentially, you eat 800 grams of fruits and vegetables every day, which works out to about six cups. Mm -hmm. And then you eat whatever else you want during that day. Mm -hmm. um, and it's brilliant because the focus is on addition instead of restriction, which I can definitely attest is a, a more palatable thing for most people when they're starting out. So um, how does adding 800 grams of fruits and vegetables, which can include, you know, uh, potatoes and, and things like that and beans into the average Joe or Jane's American diet affect their actual daily food choices and then mm -hmm. therefore their long-term health? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think for the average American, it, it feels rather drastic. And what happens is they feel like they're eating so much fruits and veggies. And so ultimately what happens is they cut down a lot on the processed stuff that we're overeating. They certainly can have it. 
but they just don't get to have as much of it as much as they were having it. And I struggle a little bit with the 800 gram challenge because I do think it can be something that's mainstream, but I think mainstream has gotten so far skewed that some of the mainstream thinks the 800 gram challenge is excessive or too much. And I just keep coming back to the fact that, you know, on average, we're talking less than 500 calories a day. And so it's really hard for me to kind of come off this idea as we all can do this. This is what a normal diet looks like. This is a fine amount. Um, it's not that much. You still can have room for the other stuff. It's just that you won't have as much room as you have been having. Is that the main pushback that you get is that by eating that many fruits and vegetables that there's nothing left for you to eat that day because you're so full? Yeah, either it's, they would just start like, this is just so much. This is just so much fruits and vegetables. Um, you know, for me, and I, and this is one of the things when I first came up with the idea, I actually tested it for six months, collecting data on my own and coming up with the rules. But I also made my good friend owner of CrossFit Roots do it too, because I was worried. I'm like, well, I'm six feet tall. Is this just totally outlandish, right? Um, the number also came from a study that was looking at lots of different people from lots of different studies. So I certainly didn't base it off of me. I don't find it like I, you know, and I, I try to be sim sympathetic and empathetic for people that are making diet changes. I know it's hard. I know that we can do it in a gradual way, but it's like, I have no clue what people are eating if they're not eating this. I mean, I actually know exactly what they're eating, right? <laughs> it's, it's not for you. Yeah, we're going to get into that. <laughs> but it's like, for me in the day, I don't know what I would eat if I wasn't eating it. You know what I mean? It's such, such like an automatic and yeah, not every day is perfect. I, I typically do it about 90, 92% of my days, but it's just like, I have no clue what else I would be eating. No clue. Yeah. I think you do a really good job on your social media posting pictures of what that actually looks like. So people yeah. can visualize it. I mean, it's oh. not uncommon when somebody starts nutrition coaching with me that they'll, you know, be eating anywhere between zero and two servings of fruits and vegetables per day. And I think a lot of it comes down to they, well, they say they don't know how to prepare or they don't like vegetables and they are under the misconception that if they eat fruit, the sugar in it is going to make them gain weight. So that's yeah. an education opportunity right there. Totally. Um, you said something else in your Ted talk that I want to hammer on a little bit. I believe the exact quote was it's the calories coming from processed carbs that carry a boatload of fat from hyper palatable foods that are the universal problem. Yeah. So talk about this concept and how your approach to nutrition kind of flies in the face of the whole carb cutting culture since fruits, mm -hmm. vegetables, beans, and potatoes, as we all know, are sources of carbs. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's unfortunate because what happens in nutrition is you hear like we should go low carb and then that swings to no carb. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, no low carb relative to standard American. I don't mean low carb relative to fruits and veggies. And so that, that's really what happens. Um, and, and that's really even what happens within the CrossFit community is, you know, CrossFit was originally this driver of we're got to eat lower carb. And that's certainly true. When you look at mainstream nutrition, we have to eat lower than what mainstream nutrition is. But then once you're in this kind of whole food genre, we want carbs for exercise mm -hmm. and we want carbs because they provide vitamins and minerals for us. So, you know, it's kind of this level middle, uh, middle ground or moderation, if you will, on carbohydrates, but we have to look at where the person is to establish if they need to go lower carb or potentially even higher carb if they've gotten too extreme. Yeah. And, and like in the quote that you, um, gave in that Ted talk, it's so much about the source of carbs because mm. I think I posted something on Instagram this week that you have to understand the nuance between the fact that carbs 
don't make you fat, but carbs can make you fat. And a lot of that comes down to the type of carbs that you choose, which uh, as you brought up, when they're paired with hyperpalatable fats, which carry over twice as many calories per gram totally. as the carbs, you therefore end up eating a whole lot of extra calories while trying to, or not by, by eat, you're trying to eat these carbs, but they're bringing on a lot of calories from fat also. Yeah, so, I think that's what happens is people reduce, and I did this too, like all of these things that I talk about are, are me in 2010, like <laughs> most of my here. Instagram is like me talking to myself 10 years ago, so you yeah. know, this isn't like from a preaching perspective, but what happens is we drill down too far, we drill down to this idea of I just need to look at fructose and fruit, and I just need to look at carbs and food, and it's like, okay, this is not how we eat it, we, we don't sit down to a bowl of fructose, we sit down to pieces of fruit, or we sit down to candy, so that's what gets lost, is like, yes, you can learn these individual components, but that's not how it plays out in real life. So we need to pull back and then be like, it's not just about the carbs. It's about the calories that are coming from carbs, fat and protein, right? Yeah. One of the big ones for us, we were, we had been doing CrossFit probably for four or five years at this point, but still didn't really understand anything about nutrition. And when we were, would be making dinner, we would have one of those delicious bags of dried plantain, plantain chips from Trader Joe's. And we would crush through almost that whole bag which totally. uh, it's a hyper palatable, uh, fairly high carb since it's essentially a banana. And then also since it's deep fried, uh, <laughs> very high in fat too. So we thought we were, you know, eating something relatively healthy, but we were piling in a, an extra probably four or 500 calories before we even got to dinner. And totally. I think that's like, you know, when somebody decides to cut carbs, um, you know, they can't have potato chips. They can't have the chips and uh, guacamole at the Mexican restaurant. They can't have the quesadilla, those kinds of things. So they think that it was the reduction in carbs that really got them the result, but it was that they exactly. eliminated these super easy to overeat, super high calorie foods, which was basically the point of your right. quote. It's uh, We just got back from a trip to, um, to Mississippi. And I think that this is kind of a, a cultural thing also, where there are certain parts of the country that are more conscious of this concept and then, mm. you know, less food educated areas where it's, uh, even if people wanted to improve their health, there aren't a lot of options out mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. that kind of line up with the, what most people need to be eating. So it was mm -hmm. kind of a, a re eye opening experience for us for sure. Definitely. Yeah. So one of the things that we really like about your content besides your great sense of humor is that you always get straight to the point <laughs> with what you post. And we actually repost a lot of your things in our Instagram story. And one of the re most recent posts was about the cost of produce mm -hmm. versus mm -hmm. other foods. What do you say to the person that says that fruits and veggies are just too expensive than their more processed counterparts? Yeah. Um, I think it, there's a lot of things that go into that. And you know, that Instagram post, we have to remember that it's being posted on Instagram with the assumption that people are looking at it on their iPhones. <laughs> and if you're looking at that post on your iPhone, you have the money for fruits and veggies. And so I, I'm that's not, hilarious. you know, and, and that's the thing is I think, gosh, we could go down a tangent on social media and you can hear some of my frustrations there. I have about three seconds to capture people's interest, attention, and provide some education to actually drive some change. And so I have to appreciate what my audience is at that moment. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of affluent people on their iPhones. <laughs> now, it, do I think that everybody has the same level of access and availability and flexibility in their budget? No. But notice I posted it with a, a latte that a lot of people are buying in addition to their cell phones, right? Yeah. 
So, so that was really the target there. I certainly think there are people who both based on their location as well as their socioeconomic status, it is going to be a challenge. Um, I was actually just watching some stuff on YouTube. There is some phenomenal stuff that you can do even where budget is tight. Walmart, Aldi, Lidl, Trader Joe's. There's some places that you can really drop food costs if you want to. But I also think we should not accept that people who are in a poor socioeconomic status should be getting less quality food. The issue there now is how do we increase jobs for them? How do we increase their status? I don't think that we accept that we don't want them eating fruits and vegetables. I think that's a terrible position to take. Mm -hmm. And instead, I think it's not the problem of like, okay, how do we fix food costs? Because once we're at the Walmart level, once we're at the Lidl level, I don't know that we're going to be able to reduce costs more. It's now how do we bring in job opportunities or how do we change accessibility for those individuals, in my opinion, because I want those people eating fruits and vegetables. I don't want them saying, well, because I don't have X dollar for these lower cost groceries that I should now only eat fast food. I think that's a terrible kind of opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you maybe just think of something that Blakely and I were talking about on the drive was we're passing through all this farmland, you know, mm-hmm. both produce and meat growers. And yet when we were at the grocery store in this rural town, you know, I don't think that there was a, a a local grass-fed beef available. I don't think that there was local produce available, even though it's being grown right, right there, there in right there in the community. So there's definitely a disconnect um, as far as that goes. And yeah, there's a deeper solution needed. And some of it is demand, and and that's what's unfortunate is some of these stores are selling that stuff because that's what their clientele wants. And so maybe that's where the education comes into play mm-hmm. and the incentivizing. Because every time I walk into a gas station or every time I walk into a drugstore, I'm like, this stuff is here because it sells, it sells. And so the reason why some places um, have more of that around is because that's what that store is doing to thrive themselves as business owners, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I don't know if it's more education there. How can we incentivize people to want to buy those products such that then that store will change the products they have? Yeah, because they're not going to do it speculatively, that's for sure. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's a big topic. <laughs> yeah, it is. And that's the thing is like, I love social media in a lot of ways. There, it's, You can have fun with it. You can connect with your consumers and your community. But I think people also think that everything, every issue of every topic can be solved in a post. Or I can address every medical condition or every genetic condition in a single post. And it's like, guys, we've got a world of 7 billion people. There is no way I can address every condition at every moment. <laughs> yeah. If you can just bring some awareness, you're doing well. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah, to kind of so, cancel out some of the negative noise out there yeah, is a win for sure. Totally. So let's talk about the number one factor that really determines whether somebody is successful long-term mm. in actually changing their, their health. Consistency. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Your ability <laughs> to stick word. with something. <laughs> your ability to stick with something, assuming that it's a good program. A lot of people are consistent with what they're doing, but it doesn't Mm. mean that what they're doing lines up with what their goals are. Totally. So the same thing goes for training as far as the consistency being the the magic of results. But the name of your podcast is the consistency project. So this is definitely something that you obviously care a lot about. So for health and fitness, what do you think the, the main things that people should be focused on doing consistently and then what is kind of a good guideline for whether you're doing something consistently or sporadically? Yeah. 
Yeah, so the Consistency Project has that um, sister project, the leaderboard with it, where people mm -hmm. can kind of tick off yes or no every day on 800 gram challenge, adequate protein, or my lazy macros concept, sleep and exercise. And that's kind of it. That's what I'd love to see people be consistent with. We could add stress in there. It's just really hard to measure on sort of a group scale. Um, and I'd love for people just to focus on that forever, <laughs> right off into the yeah. sunset of nutrition and health bliss with, with those. Um, so to recap you, those, they were go through them again a yeah. little more slowly and I'll put them in the show notes. Yeah. The 800 gram challenge, mm -hmm. adequate protein, which I say is 0.7 grams per pound of body weight. Um, we can get into the details there. Could it be a little less, maybe sure, whatever. Um, but some, right. some amount of protein in the diet. And then exercise of your choice and then mm -hmm. sleep for, I put the minimum at seven hours, um, but you could get a little bit more if you know you need more and just see how you do that every day. Yep. And I have a free tracker. You're not going to be wowed by the technology. It's not this amazing <laughs> app, but the, I, that was the whole intent. It was like, I don't need to be collecting all of this data on my life and every action I do. I just need to make sure I did these really basic things. And so I purposely tracked, I mean, not that I don't do it anyway, but I was making sure I was logging the app for a full year to see where my numbers fell. Um, you know, I'd love to get a bigger sample size on that. I was averaging for the 800 gram challenge over 90%, close to 90% on the protein, exercise over 70%, which makes sense because there's going to be rest days. And then sleep was uh, about 70%. Um, so I think that's going to be representative of a pretty good score. Um, I certainly think if people are over 80% in these things, again, accounting for rest days, but over 80%, I think it's going to be a really healthy person, a yeah. really healthy person. And so we're not looking for perfection. I certainly had days where I wasn't perfect, but I think more often than not, so four out of seven days, five out of seven days, we need to be doing these things. Yeah. Yeah. That, that kind of falls in line with the, the 80, 20 rule that you hear kind of people throw around. Totally. totally. Um, and I think like going into it with that expectation is good because so many people, when they start a nutrition plan or a workout program, they have this expectation that they're going to be hundred percent compliant. And then the first time that they quote mess up, it's ruined. It's done. All or nothing mentality. <laughs> Let's go back to what we were doing. So going into it with those expectations, knowing you're not going to be perfect is, is, is what it takes really. Exactly. That's exactly. how you lead to real consistency. Yeah. So, you know, if I had to think about one thing that most of our clients struggle with at some point in their journey is consistency. So how have you been able to build consistency looking back, you know, 10 years before you knew everything that you know now, and maybe you weren't as consistent as you are mm -hmm. now? Is it, is there any tricks that you use or is it really just putting in the reps? Yeah. I think a lot of it is putting in the reps. Um, I, a lot of it, a lot of it is putting in the reps when you don't want to put in the reps <laughs> and just going through the motions when you're like, I don't want to do this and you pull out the raspberries and that's what you eat. Or I don't want to do this. And you just start getting the air squats going, you know? Um, yeah. And that's one of the things I say all the time. I mean, motivation comes and goes, you know, some days you're going to be fired up to do it. Other days you're going to not want to do it. But when you've done it a thousand times, it's way easier to make the quote right decision. So for me, it's a lot of reps. And then for a lot of people, what I also say is you have to set yourself up for success. If your house is full of, I don't know, ho-hos and Doritos and you, you're not, don't have a habit in place, like, this is going to be hard. I don't know mm -hmm. that I could do it, right? Especially without a habit in place. It's way easier once you've kind of done it. So set yourself up for success. I had a, a call with a 
corporate wellness client and they were asking, well, what do you do about the Milky Ways that are in the break room? And I say, well, we don't put Milky Ways in the break room. Like as a company, let's not put the Milky Ways in the break room, right? Like that's how you do it. You clean up your environment so that the choices become easier, then you get the reps in and then and then you're riding off into the sunset. Yeah, <laughs> yeah what, what is the easiest way to not have a serving of ice cream out of the freezer every night? <laughs> Totally. Don't buy the ice cream in Don't the first buy place. <laughs> Don't right. buy it. And here's the thing is, I think sometimes people hear that and they're like, wow, EC is just a stick in the mud. She has no fun. And it's like, <laughs> no, we have so many opportunities for fun. I mean, gosh, how many times, in, you know, I know the pandemic slowed a lot of our social stuff down. And, and again, it, we're back kind of maybe in a phase of that. But birthday parties, holidays, anniversaries, whatever it is, new job. I mean, we are celebrating constantly, <laughs> right. which is awesome. I mean, it just means that, you know, we, we have a lot of blessings and affluence. And so that's great. Save all of the fun for those times. Like, I don't know that we need a treat every time we have a meal, you know? Yeah. One of our very first podcasts, Blakely brought up the point of, you know, how pretty much anybody who achieves anything, um, significant and health and fitness probably doesn't eat out at restaurants a ton. That's just mm. the, that's just the fact of it. People probably mm. don't want to hear that, but that's just the truth. And that's why it's important if you want to choose that lifestyle to save those occasions for something actual, actually special that you get to enjoy and make some memories with, not just uh, stopping and picking up a to-go order on the way home and then eating it while you watch TV and then the meal is gone. You ate way more calories than you needed and there was no significance to the meal at all. Yeah. You know, still enjoy those times, but don't make that your regular thing. You desensitize yourself to the event of it if you truly want to treat food as like an experience. Yeah. And of course, um, because I'm the non-cooking nutritionist, there can be some um, places you find with some good meals on the regular. <laughs> Are we talking about like Chipotle and those there kinds of go. places? Chipotle, <laughs> salads at Panera that describes about, you know, at least a quarter of my meals. So yeah. If those lead you to more consistency, then that is exactly. important for you exactly. for sure. Um, one thing I want to bring up is um, when somebody starts a diet, a lot of times their first question is, okay, what should I eat? Well, with the 800 gram challenge, you know, you have a good list of guidelines and there's a lot mm -hmm. of flexibility in that. But I think that I heard a quote from Donald Miller one time when he said, a lot of times we are choosing to be confused about mm -hmm. something that we're really just hesitant to take action on. So when somebody wants to start a diet and they say, well, what should I eat? Do you think people are really just like choosing to be confused and they really do know what they're supposed to do? Well, that's a really good quote. Um, a little bit, a little bit. I do think there's a lot of information out there. I mean, I certainly went through my no banana phase for a while, right? So, <laughs> you know, again, <laughs> there is a lot of confusing information out there. But I think for the most part, people know fruits and veggies are more healthy than the Doritos or the fast food. Um, and I think they overcomplicate it a little bit. A lot of times also out of the gates with the 800 gram challenge, people want meal plans. And I'm like, well, if you're not at home preparing a lot of meals right now, why are we going to even jump to that step? I mean, to me, it's like, I don't like doing meal plans. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so like, I don't know, maybe you're going to love it. But like, if you're not at home cooking already, I don't, I wouldn't start there either. I'm going to start with, okay, you go to Starbucks, they have a quinoa, black bean salad, and they also have bananas. We're going to start there, you know, or right. we pass Chipotle, we're going to start there. So I think 
people, again, kind of like this idea of starting at perfect. It's like, well, tell me now my protein level and tell me my calories and tell me what meals to be prepping. And it's like, no, what did you have for breakfast? Do you like apples instead of, I don't know, pick the other thing that they're mm-hmm. eating, apple chips. It's like, okay, cool. Let's swap that out and just start super basic. Um, and so I think that's where the, there's some confusion. People, again, want to start at perfect. And, and it's like, no, no, we, we don't need that. <laughs> yeah. Like <clears throat> asking somebody like, well, what do you think the best first step would be for yourself is a lot of times they'll come up with really like the first three steps that they know that they're struggling with before you even have to get into anything that feels like a real big sacrifice Mm. to them. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That's the beauty of, you know, starting people with, um, a food log really Mm -hmm. is by the time you get to that, the end of that three to seven days, like when somebody goes through our coaching program on their last day of food pictures, there's a question that says, was there anything that you noticed that you, that kind of surprised you? And there's always something that comes up and that's a signal to me that uh, they're already aware that it's holding them back. So that's an easy thing that we can change without disrupting their life. So they already knew, they already knew what to do. They just hadn't, you know, had it presented to them in a way or looked at it or evaluated it themselves. And I think that's, that's one of the big problems with nutrition in general is we just get in these rhythms. We learn from our parents what we should buy at the grocery store. We learn certain recipes. We learn what it looks like on our plate. And then we become adults and we just continue doing what we had been doing just because we're on autopilot. Yeah. It's like I remember there's like, there's some kind of joke where, um, this person makes the same size turkey or they put the turkey in the oven a certain way all the time. And they just did it because that's how their grandma did it. And then come to find out the only reason they did that was because their grandma had a small oven and couldn't fit a bigger (laughs) turkey in there. (laughs) That's awesome. So we're just on autopilot. Yeah. I mean, I love the observation. That's in fact what I do with my masterclass. A good portion of it is they observe and I tell them, okay, based on what you're observing, these are your options. I actually don't really like to tell people what to do in nutrition, contrary to probably what some people think. (laughs) Um, I'd rather them kind of decide their course of action. I think observation is huge. And, And like you said, just asking them. I mean, there's been times I'll talk to people and well, what do you think it is? Well, I don't know. I eat pretty healthy. I really do like wine and cheese. I probably have too much wine. Okay, there we go. You know, just let it, let them talk a little bit and they're going to identify their own problems. Yeah, that's a great way to think about it. So um, we, you mentioned something about the misleading information and food marketing mm-hmm. and stuff like that. What, do you, what are some of the most triggering things that you've seen recently? And how do you feel about how food companies are pumping loads of fiber into foods right now to try to manipulate the nutrition facts. Yeah, I I struggle a bit with marketing. Obviously, I'm not the biggest fan of it, but I also appreciate you have to, you're a business and you want to make money. And I think that people should be allowed to eat poor food. I I eat donuts, you know, I have ice cream. It should be allowed to be sold, right? Like, I think it can be part of a healthy diet. So I I don't really know. and they, there's a lot of regulations about what they're allowed to put on, on the boxes and they follow the rules. It's mm-hmm. just people don't know how they're kind of going round and round on these concepts. So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I definitely, I know I did on social media recently a, a few different rants I have like quick energy and um, is one that gets me fired up or when they just play with low carb or low fat, the calories are the same or natural really drives me up the wall because 
you know, your natural veggie chips have the same amount of calories as Doritos. Um, so a lot of that stuff does spin me up, but I don't know what the solution is. Um, because like I said, I think these products should exist. I understand that businesses are looking to make a profit <laughs> and, um, I don't know how to do it. I don't know. There actually has been some research where they do what they call stoplight labeling. So foods would have like mm -hmm. red, yellow, or green on them in supermarkets to indicate to people like what to buy or not to buy. It, it, from what I've seen, it doesn't look to be that effective. Hmm. Because people want what they want. They want what they want. Hmm. So that's, that's where I come back to, we have to incentivize the good behavior. We have to make it for the person valuable to them to make a good behavior. And right now I don't know how to do that if we don't talk about money or laws, but somebody else probably uh, has a better idea. Maybe if you have a certain percentage of your grocery cart full of the green light options, you get to go through a faster checkout line. <laughs> <laughs> something yeah, something like that. Something like that. Yeah, totally. Or you um, get uh, faster delivery on your Amazon prime. Right. Even faster as instantaneous <laughs> delivery. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like I said, seatbelts and smoking, we've made a dent. We're not perfect, but we've certainly made a dent. Um, and those were with laws. I don't know. I don't know. I think Somebody out there is going to come up with an idea. <laughs> I think, you know, we're doing the right things. It's trying to help bring awareness to people paying attention to more to actually what is in the food that they're eating and ignoring the words on the labels. It's like, mm -hmm. don't assume this because a food is absent of something that it's, you know, better for you nutritionally mm -hmm. just because it doesn't have something else in it flip it over and look at the the nutrition facts on the back learn about how, how that breaks down and look at the actual ingredients um and speaking of looking at the ingredients like are we going to say something yeah i was just going to say uh, i agree and then i also agree that like when i go to my tax accountant guy I don't want to learn about taxes. Like, just tell me what to do. And I think nutrition is a little different because it's so perverse in everybody's life. But I think that's where structures, even like the whole shop, the perimeter and don't buy things in, mm -hmm. you know, packaging or anything that you buy in packaging, eat a small amount and anything that you buy that's whole on foods, just eat whatever. You know what I mean? I think stuff like that is good because, you know, again, to really get so super nuanced to understand that, like, I don't know, the carbon fat ratio is changing and the micronutrients and all of that stuff. I don't know that everyone's going to want to get to that level of knowledge. Do you know what I mean? Like For the sure. amount of the stuff that you understand when you look at the back of your nutrition labels is going to be way different than mainstream America is ever going to get to. And that's because they're experts in other things, right? Like we can't expect them. So I struggle a little bit with that about like, I think education is great. It's my whole free, freaking business. But yeah. um, I also am like, how do I make it simple for people who are, who are spending their lives on other things, making things better for other people, you know? Yeah. You know, 99% of the people need the advice to stay on the perimeter of the grocery store. And you know, then there's another level of people that, you know, they will hire a coach and they, they want to get into the the, the detail weeds, yeah. of counting macros and stuff like that. But for general health, which should really be our focus because 70% of people are exactly. overweight or obese. Yes. The basics, you know, if we, if we had a way to roll out the basics, uh, it comes on the back of your Walmart receipt, something like that. And that, that would be gold for sure. Totally. Yeah. Um, I brought up about the fiber being added to food. Mm. Have you noticed that there's fiber sneaking into just about everything and the calories are going down? Oh, um, and what kind of products? Chips or? 
Halo Top ice cream, oh, right. uh, Mission Tortillas. It's like, why does this pack of uh, Swedish fish, gummy fish, <laughs> oh, have right. 16 grams of fiber in it? <laughs> Those things. Oh, yeah. Oh, maybe it is the new one. Maybe it's the new collagen. I don't know. Um, or MCTs. Maybe. It's the, it's the net carb phenomenon. You know, they're, yeah. they're adding 80 calories worth of fiber into these foods and they're subtracting it out of the total calories to make it look like this entire yeah. bag of gummies only has a hundred calories in it. That, and they probably can do a little gut health marketing with some fiber or more fiber. So they get that yeah. little added bonus. Um, yes. Yeah. It's that might coming be up a trend. lot. Yeah. It's driving me nuts. Um, what happens is fiber is used by your microbiota for energy. And so they harness that energy. So even though you as a human don't harness that energy directly, you get to benefit off of energy that is harvest from them, which is why we don't recommend to track net carbs. But yes, it is a good marketing tactic for people to think, again, they're eating less or better without doing that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure that we stole our, our rule, our guideline for a high-protein snack from you, Ooh. I think, maybe a long time ago. Okay. Tell me if I'm wrong. But take the total grams of protein in something, multiply it times 10, and that should be equal to or more than the number of calories in the serving. It just kind of makes oh, sure cool. that you're not okay. getting a lot of extra. I feel like I stole that from you. If not, okay. um, maybe someone else. Yeah. It's pretty good. It, you know, make sure that it's genuinely a high protein, protein source, source and not yeah. just coming from carbs and fat. Do you have any other um, types of little tricks or guidelines like that, that you've been able to use with people over the years? For protein or just anything? Any, anything in general. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, for protein, I generally like also just recommend food. Um, and I don't mean to be like silly about that, but I think a lot of times that's where we get into trouble with those products. Mm -hmm. It's like the protein chips or the protein bars. And it's like, again, they're fine, but if you're looking to lean out, we're probably getting a, a big whack of carbon fat calories there. So always pushing people towards more whole foods, um, is a good one. I have thought about this as a diet idea called like track the crack, which is sort of the reverse of um, kind of the 800 gram challenge. And it's like only allow yourself, let's say 500 calories a day or whatever it might be. It might mm -hmm. be 400 for some people of just crappy food. The problem with stuff like that is where do you draw the line? Like is a protein bar in the crap or is it not, you know? So I, I don't know that it has um, the same sticky as that, but yeah, it's going to be just generally pushing people towards whole food, 800 gram challenge. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, if you don't have the results you want, it's probably because it's coming out of something that's been packaged with an ingredient list. I've used that. Uh, I haven't called it track the crap, but I, <laughs> I have nutrition clients right now where, you know, they've struggled with, um, I don't want to use the word binging, but like making less nutritious food, a regular habit in their day. And, and they realize it's a problem. And you know, as part of like the more gradual habit change, we'll set mm -hmm. a, a limit on how many of those less nutritious calories we're going to have that day. And we'll, yeah. you know, depending on what they start at, you know, maybe we'll start at 300 calories per day or 300 on the weekends and 200 on the weekdays and titrate that down slowly down to a hundred calories of less nutritious food per day. And we leave it flexible because, you know, going back to the addition instead of restriction and just more uh, palatable for people and it works for sure. So oh, cool. uh, I, I can verify that if you want to roll that out as track, I'll the crap, have to think about it, that. Yeah. It does work. <laughs> different, you know, different goals for everybody. And as far as frequency and total quantity, but 
but yeah, it does work. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, I want to be um, respectful of your time and not take up any more of it. Can you tell people how they can best connect with you online and what all you have to offer them before we go? Yeah, uh, pretty easy. OptimizeMeNutrition.com, same handles on social media. And then my podcast is The Consistency Project. And yeah, I offer different direct-to-consumer offerings, um, gym offerings, corporate wellness offerings for these various concepts that we've talked about, kind of 800-gram challenge, adding protein with lazy macros, and then full diet analysis for the nutrition dorks out there with my masterclass. <laughs> Very cool. Yes. So I will put a link to all those in the show notes, guys. You should definitely follow her and subscribe to her podcast. It's full of, of super useful information. As I said, the Instagram content is always funny also. So once Thank again, you. thanks for being here, EC. Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening. We truly appreciate it. But real quick, before we go, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Be sure and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Digital Barbell for all of the latest and greatest free content. If you're interested in working with Blakely and I, we'd love to talk. Apply for coaching with the link in the description of this episode or by visiting digitalbarbell.com. We'd love to talk about helping you reach your goals with a training and nutrition program built just for you. Thanks again and have a great day.